The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here. Welcome back to Killers Amongst Us, a production of iHeartMedia and Crime Online. She's young, she's beautiful, she's an expert in the restaurant business. She's got that magnetic personality, charismatic that everybody wants to be around, the center of attention with little effort on her part. But why would she leave a brand new restaurant she and her husband have really just started? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Killers Amongst Us. They fight among themselves? Well, they're married and they work together. She would just get fed up and bolt. Employees say, yeah, they fought, they bickered sometimes in front of the customers, but nothing to write home about. On the suggestion that Dawn disappears after an argument, leaving with nothing but her Louis Vuitton bag, a mystery text. Listen. Finally, a friend named Monica comes to police with a real clue. Hi. What can we do for you? My husband and I have been friends with David and Don since they got here. Um, we're regulars at the restaurant. Uh, anyway, I, I know that she's disappeared, but I actually just got a text from her. What does it say? It says, I, I'm okay. I'm in Florida. I'm starting over. Pixie. Can I see that? Pixie, which is the nickname that David gave Dawn. That text message in of itself would explain where Dawn was, and it should relieve the worry from her friends. You're hearing our friends at Perfect Murder. So starting over, joining me in all-star panel, Larry Altman, crime reporter, Daily Breeze at the time, now freelance journalist. He knows everything about her disappearance from beginning to end. Joseph Scott Morgan, professor of forensics, Jacksonville State University, author, Blood Beneath My Feet, now the star of Poisonous Liaisons on True Crime Network. Chris Byers, former chief of police, Johns Creek, 25 years as a police officer, now PI and polygrapher at Chris Byers Investigations and polygraph.com renowned psychologist joining me dr debbie joffe ellis adjunct professor columbia university at debbie joffe ellis.com veteran trial lawyer daryl cohen former prosecutor joining me out of the atlanta jurisdiction and special guests joining me dawn's brother joining me out of burlington vermont Derek papin dawn's brother from bradenton florida david and her sister, Dana, joining me from Gardenia, California. To you, Dana, do you remember that moment when you first heard that Dawn had disappeared, that she took off on her own to so-called start over? Oh, I do, very clearly. Tell me. I got a phone call at work from Karen Patterson, a close friend of Dawn's, and I met up with with her and her husband and found out the information from them. And it was a Sunday night, late on a Sunday night. And I immediately went to the Lameda Sheriff's Station to file a missing persons report because I just knew that something 
was wrong. Now, that's interesting. When you learned this from a friend of your sister's, you went immediately to the sheriff's office. Why? What made you feel that she had that something nefarious had happened? I would call it a gut feeling, but also because of the timeline, they didn't reach out right away. So it had been almost three weeks since anybody had seen her. Um, and that just was something that was she wouldn't do, you know. She would have been in touch with one of my brothers or my father or even our grandmother at the time. And none of that had happened. And my instinct told me that something was wrong and that I needed to um, file a police report immediately. You know, to you, Daryl Cohen, uh, former prosecutor, now defense attorney, Daryl Cohen, take off your defense attorney hat just one moment. How many times has a case been launched when someone had a, quote, gut feeling? Nancy, I remember as a prosecutor, I used to tell the jury, listen to the judge's charges about, about the law, listen to the testimony of the witnesses, but whatever you fail to listen to, listen to your gut. If it feels wrong in your gut, don't do it. If it feels right, do it. So to answer your question, when your gut is there, you go for it and you do what needs to be done, regardless of what the facts appear to be or not to be. Well, you know, the law for many, many years, and I've told this to a jury uh, hundreds of times, you must reach your verdict to a moral and reasonable certainty reasonable head moral heart you have to follow your heart let me remind you of a case daryl cohen i'm sure you you don't need a whole lot of prodding you remember the julie love murder case this gorgeous pre-k movement and dance teacher goes missing on a jog well first of all did she just disappear did she take off on her own uh and everyone suspected the boyfriend and I went to Mr. Slate and our boss and went, why aren't we indicting the boyfriend? He's like, eh, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Sure enough, over a year passed and some of her remains were found out by a dumpster and it ended up being totally unrelated to the boyfriend. He had a gut feeling. He had a gut feeling. Remember that, Daryl? Oh, I remember it well. And Lewis, though he didn't try cases, he knew what the case was. He knew the value of cases. And he knew when to jump and when to sit back and wait and watch. And in this instance, when he waited and watched, it worked. Sadly. She you know, that's confused. a hard thing to learn to, you know, like Kenny Rogers says, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. There are times in cases when you have to move. And there are times in investigations where you have to lay back and wait. And Dana, Dawn's sister, is saying that night she knew she had to go to law enforcement. David, Dawn's brother, do you recall when you first learned your sister Dawn had disappeared? So so I do remember. Um, so our mother passed away June 17th that year when Don went missing. So July, August, September 17th, she called me each of those days for those months. And then it was October 17th. Um, I didn't hear from her. So I want to say within the next couple of days, I reached out and I was getting no 
no um, no response at all. And that's right around the time when Dana, you know, called me and said, you know, and told me the story. But yeah, she was calling me every month on the 17th of my mom's death anniversary and, you know, just just checking in. And when she didn't check in, um, I knew something was happening. You know, it's interesting. Um, my sister and I are very, very close, but she lives all the way on the other side of the country. And she is a brainiac. She runs a department at a university and she has been taking care of her husband since I can remember he went to heaven. I mean, her whole life has been devotion. And it's really hard for us to find a time with a time difference to talk, but we're in touch all the time. And the connection, the strong connection of growing up together is still there. And if I go uh, X number of days without hearing from my sister, I get very anxious, just like you're saying. When she didn't call on the seventeenth, you ha- you you noticed. Hey, Don didn't call. Joining me now, Derek, Don's other brother, joining me out of Burlington. Derek, do you remember when you realized or when you were first told, "Hey, Don's missing"? Yeah. Um, to quote what David said, it was basically the same thing. We talked um, after Mom passed away. I had a son on July seventeenth. And we talked every time, and it was probably right around that same time, the first week of October, when we had chatted, and she for, she forgot what I had named my son, and I named him Cooper Brink, and my mother's maiden name was Brink. And then it was, you know, she just started crying. She said, I can't talk to you right now. And that was the last time I talked to her. It was probably the first week of October. You know what's interesting, Daryl Cohen, former prosecutor, now defense attorney, actually renowned defense attorney. Daryl, um, I always find it very fishy when someone can't remember the last time they spoke to someone that then goes missing. Because I remember like it was yesterday, the last time I saw my fiance before he was murdered. I remember like it was yesterday. He had come to visit uh, me and my at my parents' home in Macon when I was in college. He had to get up at like 4 o'clock to drive to his construction job near Athens. And I waved at the car as he drove away, and he slung his left arm up and waved at me as the car disappeared. I, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. And... You're hearing the Pappin siblings, Dana, David, and Derek, describing that moment. You know, Daryl, when I come on to a suspect that can't remember what happened, that's just a big giveaway to me. Well, not to me. No, of course not. Because to the siblings, to you, that was an impactful moment because of what happened directly afterwards. If my friend goes off to work, and it's the same thing my friend does every day, or we leave the office every day, then I don't necessarily remember because my short-term memory doesn't consider that important. But what is important, if you reach out and you don't reach that friend, and suddenly that friend is gone. So then your short-term memory flips back. So it, it doesn't bother me. Someone you know what? Well, you've been in the thing. defense business way too long, okay? You need to go take a vacation <laughs> and get back in touch with yourself.
To Larry Altman joining me, crime reporter Daily Breeze at the time, now freelance journalist, he knows the case backwards and forwards. You know, Larry, right there when we hear the friend state, she gets a text and Dawn decides that Pixie, which was a nickname given to her by her husband, a lot of people called her Pixie. Why didn't they try? Why didn't cops triangulate it right then and there? You know, I don't know. They didn't seem to be too concerned at the beginning. Uh, I mean, that text uh, was misspelled. Uh, the text from uh, Don's friend made no mention. Uh, the, the text to Don's friend made no mention of the fact that the friend had just been diagnosed with cancer. Um, I don't think at the beginning anyone really took this seriously. You know, I think you're right. And another thing uh, in the police defense to Chris Byers, former police chief Johns Creek. I don't know that at that time when Dawn first went missing, that the technology was readily available to triangulate down to like a couple of blocks. Was it? No, probably not. Back when this first started, I remember having a murder case uh, when I was with Clayton County Police Department when cell phones were first just getting big and the first time I ever triangulated one you know we got it to within like a five mile radius we knew it was in somewhere in Cobb County Georgia uh, but yeah the technology's definitely changed as it's evolved but yes back when it it first came out it was not extremely specific oh my goodness just that's that's I'm smiling because I bet at the time you're like, whoa, we can we can identify a five mile radius of where the cell phone was. Absolutely. <laughs> and now we would just laugh at that now. But then and I, I can remember the first time I did a DNA case and in my youth and, you know, nobody knew what we were doing. I insisted the scientists you're going to love this. Chief Byers, I insisted, uh, and you too, Joe Scott, listen to this. I insisted the scientists from the GBI crime lab bring all of the uh, microscopic photos of the DNA comparison. I'm like, yes, we're going to show it all to the jury so they can understand what deoxyribonucleic acid really is. Well, when they pulled them up, they looked like to me at a distance as I was doing direct. I said, and please show the jury your slides. They had long rolls of film. It looked like film that really hadn't developed correctly. It was just like a bunch of blobs in black and white. I'm like, okay, you can put that down right now. Because I knew the jury would think just like me, how the heck can you look at that and figure anything out for Pete's sake? Get rid of that. And, of course, luckily for me, the defense was also equally knowledgeable about DNA. So they didn't say, hey, 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 hold on, bring that back out. Let's just see how crazy this whole DNA thing is. So luckily I got out of that through the skin of my teeth. But new technology presents issues. If that technology, which is really only uh, advancing, Joe Scott, wouldn't you agree? In the last couple of years, we've really advanced triangulation technology. I mean, it was around, but as Chief Byer said, a five-mile radius, that really doesn't help me too much. No, it doesn't pinpoint anything necessarily, uh, Nancy. Back then, of course, it gave us kind of this broad stroke that we could look at, and it was better than what we had at that point in time. And it's just like DNA technology. Uh, you know, and this is this is the key here, though. It's how this technology is actually applied. Even to this day, you were referring to the DNA slides. Uh, it is like watching paint dry. I think <laughs> back to, you know, uh, the 
uh, the testimony that was offered, even in the O.J. Simpson case, he put awful. those people to sleep. And, yeah, all the bells and whistles are really the cool. The only thing that kept me awake during that was looking at Simpson and Cochran and Corden. I was just, like, gritting my teeth. I remember that. You are so right, Joe Scott Morgan. Hey, Jackie, so we get down to police work. What we just heard from the friend Monica and about that text we're talking about. Finally, a friend named Monica comes to police with a real clue. Hi, what can we do for you? My husband and I have been friends with David and Don since they got here. Um, we're regulars at the restaurant. Uh, anyway, I, I know that she's disappeared, but I actually just got a text from her. What does it say? It says, I, I'm okay. I'm in Florida. I'm starting over. Pixie. Can I sit down? Pixie, which is the nickname that David gave Don. That text message, in of itself, would explain where Don was. And it should relieve the worry from her friends. But now, take a listen to our friends. Investigators speaking to other of Don's co-workers and acquaintances. Listen. As the investigation continues, cops talk to Don's friends. Was she unhappy lately or depressed? More exhausted. It's a tough business. Did she ever mention, like, wanting to leave or leaving? All the time. So you feel it's unusual for her to disappear like this? Yeah, unusual, but understandable. Where do you think she might be? I'm hoping a ski lodge with a boy toy. Friends basically back up what David says. They're really sure that she took off on her own, that she's somewhere with a margarita on hand and enjoying herself, and she'll come back when she's ready. If Dawn really has taken a trip somewhere, then police should be able to track her. They run her credit card, see if there's any credit card history. Investigators also check U.S. Customs to see if maybe Dawn had taken a flight out of town. There was no no sign of Dawn anywhere. Wow, okay, right there. That was good police work, Larry Altman. Uh, Larry, on the case from the very beginning, checking to see if she had taken a flight, taking to see, checking to see if she'd gone down to one of the islands, checking her banking, her credit card history, but so far nothing. So the cops are on the right track. Wouldn't you agree, Larry? You know, I don't agree, actually. Um, I, I would check in regularly with the police, and they would just tell me there was uh, no signs of foul play and her name was in the system. And, uh, you know, they were waiting for her to just turn up somewhere. Um, but I I never really got the impression early on that they were really digging into it. I think that came later on. Um, I, I just never felt at the beginning that they were they were really all that active. You know, that's a really interesting point. Joe Scott Morgan, I agree and disagree with Larry. I disagree in the sense that they're looking at her credit cards. They're looking at banking activity. They're looking to see if she left the jurisdiction or is any of her potential old haunts. So they're looking. They're speaking to friends. They're speaking to the husband. They're speaking to coworkers. And that's what they should be doing. So I disagree with Larry Altman on that, but I agree with him that I don't know how seriously they were taking it. Yeah, I, I don't know either, Nancy. And, you know, when you're talking about adults that just kind of vanish off the face of the earth, 
the the standard line that you will get from police is, well, they're an adult. They have, you know, they can do whatever they want to do. Listen, even at the medical examiner's office, Nancy, we used to get calls from people that would say, I'm missing my husband or I'm missing my wife. Uh, I, I'm just calling the morgue to check if they're there. And, you know, you get so many of those calls after a period of time, it kind of wears you down. And you're working on other cases at that moment in time, stuff that you have solid information on. So it's a very confusing position to put investigators in. I want to go to Dr. Debbie Joffe Ellis, but first to the Pappen siblings, Derek, David and Dana here. To you, Dana, did it sound like something Dawn would do? Just go off to one of the islands and sit back and have a margarita? No, absolutely not. Why do you say that? Because regardless of anything, that it, they were attached together. They did everything together. She had never done it before. It didn't make any sense at all. And if she was going to run away, she was going to run away with him, you know? It didn't make sense. You know, that's an interesting point. You're talking about the husband, David. What about you, David Pappen? Had, was was Dawn the, quote, free-spirited one in the family, the one that would just leave and go on a vacation without telling anybody and get it out of her system and come back home? Was she the responsible one? I mean, growing up, what was her character? Dawn, growing up, I would say that Dawn was a free spirit. I would say that... Um, but once she met David, like Dana said, they were, they, there wasn't one without the other in very many circumstances. Um, yeah, he had, they were, they were together 99% of the time. And it sounds like they were really dedicated to making this restaurant work. And Derek Pappen, the restaurant was working. It was very popular. Yeah, it absolutely was. They, uh, they were, the, the teamwork that they had together was outstanding and definitely was a, a great couple. And like David said, they were always together, even through the bad times, through the good times, through any time. They always seemed to work things out um, if there were bad times and and the good times, Don would never go to an island unless he was with her. To Dr. Debbie Joffe-Ellis, psychologist, adjunct professor, Columbia University. Dr. Debbie, and, and also, for instance, I might get really mad at my husband about one thing or the other, and maybe there was a time I would have driven off in a huff, but now I have the children, and there's no way in H-E-L-L, and you can all write this down, <laughs> that I would ever, ever, ever leave them or do anything to jeopardize being with them. I believe that is the way Dawn and David felt about that restaurant. That was their baby. Well, that's likely, but we can't know 100% for sure unless we're in their heads. And Nancy, you have a moral compass. You're a dedicated mother with a good brain. Um, We don't know how they, and and now in no way am I criticizing Dawn or or questioning her her sanity. I'm not, but but to just make a, a couple of general statements, if I... May. Now, when a person is doing something that's life enhancing, such as regularly checking in with a sister, with loved ones, with friends, and that stops, that's what I think should raise alarm bells. 
On the other hand, people can change. People can act in uncharacteristic ways. So the fact that um, Dawn stopped her regular phone calls to me is more alarming than a possibility of her choosing one day as a previously free spirit to do something dramatically different. Interesting, interesting. And, you know, Chris Byers, former police chief of Johns Creek, I always I agree with Larry Altman on this at this point. So many times I see it with teen quote runaways. No, they're either been kidnapped, they're dead, or they've been sex trafficked. That that's what's happening. When teens and women go missing with teens, they say, "Oh, that's a runaway. They'll come back." With women, they go, "Oh, you know what? She's just gone off with a boyfriend. She's just quote taking a break." Why do cops always say that? What the hey is wrong? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, there's there's that mindset of going into things and trying to make less of it uh, than it actually could be, which is one of the things when I was a supervisor over investigators, uh, I was always very hard on. We look to the worst possible case scenario and then we work our way back. Uh, and that's what you have to do in these cases so that you don't miss. You know, we've talked in the past about those precious early moments where there's evidence out there that can be lost. Uh, so you really have to come into these situations and look at the worst case scenario and then work your way back to it. it's just a runaway. She's run off with a boyfriend or something. Um, but yes, you're exactly right. Uh, all too often uh, that happens in the mind of investigators uh, early on on these cases. Take a listen to our friend Dave Mack, CrimeOnline.com. The investigation into Don Vienne's disappearance began weeks after she was last seen. Her sister, Dana Pappen, and friends went to the police on November 18, 2009 to report her missing. Police talked to Don's husband, David Viennes. He tells detectives that on October 18th, he argued with his wife about her excessive drinking. He said that earlier in the day, they'd gone to eat at California Pizza Kitchen and that he dropped her off at home and returned to work. When he got home from work that night, Viennes tells police that Don wasn't home says he takes an Ambien, goes to bed. He also says Don wasn't home the next day. And Viennes tells police that he texted and called her a number of times. Police asked why he didn't contact police. Viennes says that maybe a week or two after, he got a text message from her saying she was okay and then she was with a friend. Viennes says that he talked to Don on the phone and that she came home on October 25th begging him to leave Lomita and run away to the mountains. David Viennes claims that he told her to check into rehab and the next day she was gone. The investigation into Don Vienne's disappearance began weeks after she was last seen. Her sister, Dana Pappen, and friends went to the police on November 18, 2009 to report her missing. Police talked to Don's husband, David Viennes. He tells detectives that on October 18th, he argued with his wife about her excessive drinking. He said that earlier in the day, they'd gone to eat at California Pizza Kitchen and that he dropped her off at home and returned to work. When he got home from work that night, Viennes tells police that Don wasn't home says he takes an Ambien, goes to bed. He also says Don wasn't home the next day. And Viennes tells police that he texted and called her a number of times. Police asked why he didn't contact police. Viennes says that maybe a week or two after, he got a text message from her saying she was okay and then she was with a friend. Viennes says that he talked to Don on the phone and that she came home on October 25th begging him to leave Lomita and run away to the mountains. David Viennes claims that he told her to check into rehab and the next day... She was gone. Wow. To Dana, David, and Derek Pappen, um, question to you. Dana, do you believe cops did not take it seriously? 
No, I believe they took it seriously. But when I, I, when you don't know a person, you don't know their habits, you can only go on the evidence you're given. And coming from her husband, the person that's supposed to know her best, and he's saying, well, I just talked to her and she's mad and we had a fight. And then, you know, I don't blame them for for not taking it more seriously because they didn't have any evidence to prove that anything was wrong. What about it, David Pappen? I don't I don't think they did anything wrong. Um, and around that time, I actually called him. I actually called David um, and had an hour-long conversation. Um, and he assured me, he kept calling me brother, you know, I would never, I would never do anything. You know, she just left, you know, you know, I, you know, me better than anyone, you know, da, 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 da. And without any evidence, like Dana said, there was really no, no reason to think something, something had happened. She just left, which I told her to do a hundred times. Oh, really? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Derek Pappen, did, do you believe the cops were taking it seriously? that she had disappeared uh, did you buy into she just took off no i definitely didn't buy into that she just just took off and all that stuff and and i think you know like larry said i think it you know that they didn't think it was a big deal at first and stuff like that and then you know that's yeah i i thought there was something wrong from the start just like dana said you know to you larry altman you're the only one although dana goes to the cops and says she's missing something's wrong you're the one that says they're not taking this seriously enough. Why did you feel that? I just felt at the time that they took a report and, and put Don's name in the system and were just waiting to see what happened. Um, I mean, there were some key things that we all knew. Uh, you know, from the start, we knew that, that Don's car was still in the driveway. So if, if she had just taken off uh, like David said, um, why wouldn't she take her car? This is Southern California. You, you can't, you know, do anything without driving. Uh, and she also left behind a sizable amount of money that she had been saving. Um, if, if she'd just left on her own, why wouldn't she have gone and collected that money? It was about $640. Well, now that you're telling me that, you've completely turned me around. These are facts that are very, very critical. She left behind her car. I mean, for Pete's sake, what is she going to hitchhike when she's got a car? And also the nature of the money. She had asked a friend to hold the money in case of an emergency. Why not put it in the bank? Why did she feel she had to? I mean, I'm not going to go hide my what little bit of money I've got in a glass jar in the backyard for Pete's sake. Now, I don't want to knock that. My great-grandmother did it and ended up paying off a farm by, you know, uh, 50 jars buried in the backyard full of nothing but nickels and dollars and cash. So it does happen. But why did she feel she needed an emergency plan? Why did she disappear without her car? Guys, take a listen to this. We had to look at all the facts. We looked into Florida. We learned that she had family members. Her father was in Florida a substantial time of the year. Nobody had heard anything from Don. If they know where Dawn is, they're not saying anything. The months begin to pass, and with no sign of Dawn, 
cops start to fear the worst. It became apparent to us that, that this was just more than a missing person. Now that months have passed, everyone is getting more serious about Dawn's disappearance. Why did it take months? Why are police now sitting on their thumbs? Take a listen to our friend Richard Schlesinger. Some friends alerted Dawn's sister who filed a missing persons report. That caught the eye of Larry Altman. His first story about Dawn's disappearance ran on Christmas Eve 2009, two months after Dawn vanished, and it got an immediate response. I received a phone call from one of Dawn's friends who had seen that story. She said, hey, I read your story. There's more to this than you know. Wow. Well, the first article uh, was just a basic missing person story. But when I initially had heard about Dawn's disappearance, uh, I uh, I placed a call to uh, David to, to ask questions. You know, what's what's going on with this? And I never got a response. Um, and a lot of time passed. And, you know, after several weeks, I thought, boy, I never heard from him. Um, why would he not call me back? And so I tried again, and uh, I got a, a return phone call this time from an attorney. And uh, this attorney said, he's not going to talk to you. He's not going to do any interviews, uh, but he is cooperating with the police. And I said, what are you talking about? He's cooperating with the police. And, and I'm, I'm, why wouldn't he be cooperating with the police? And, and I'm sure, Nancy, you know, that is a phrase that is is used when there's some sort of suspicion. You know what? You're absolutely right, Larry Altman, on the case in the very beginning. And then after you write your article, somebody else hears about it. And the case blows up. Listen. How did all this start? And why now? This case lay dormant until we reported on it. And then suddenly, cops appoint a brand new investigative team and start reinvestigating the case. And now suddenly, they've dug out the bottom of the husband's restaurant. Right, Nancy. Well, on October 18th, 2009 is the last time anybody saw Don Viens. Her husband said that he actually fired her. Or they got in an argument. Whoa, friend- whoa. Yeah. The husband fires his wife from the family restaurant. Okay, go ahead. Right, right. Her friends claim that he fired her that day. He says she just walked away, took a Louis Vuitton bag with her. That was the last time he saw her. Wow, so all this, uh, the case blows up after Larry Altman publishes that first article you know what? I, that, I recall the first time I learned, Larry Altman, that he says, he, the husband says, he fired her. How do you fire your wife? Well, exactly. And, and uh, what else was interesting was that Don was replaced in the restaurant. Straight out to Dana, David, and Derek Pappen. Dana, did you know the husband had, quote, fired Don? No, I didn't. That's a surprise. Good luck, David, if you try to fire me. David Pappen, did you know that Dawn had basically been, quote, fired from her own restaurant? How do you do that? Oh, I did not know that. But funny enough, in 2004, I was working for David and Dawn, and my dad's sister had passed away. So Dawn and I were in Florida, and she said, one of us needs to go. I'll go. And I said, okay, I'll stay and man the restaurant. Well, David stepped in and told Dawn she was not allowed to go. So I jumped in my car, 
and I started towards the airport because I was going to go. Dawn was going to cover the restaurant. I got about halfway to the Tampa airport. David called me and said, don't bother coming back. You don't have a job. You're not loyal, blah, blah, blah. And he fired me on the spot. And I was driving or I was going to Vermont to bury my dad's sister. So I do believe he fired her because he did it to me. So he does have a history <laughs> yes, of know. firing people. But, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, it, it, I, you know, guys, how much I love David. But uh, if he tried to order me around or fire me from whatever I'm doing, he would, you know, you pull out, a, put out an arm and pull back a nub. <laughs> That's what I've got to say to that. Derek, did you have any idea that your brother-in-law fired Don? I mean, it's her restaurant, too. How can you fire somebody? I'd say, oh, L. no, I'm firing you. Take the Pat and Turner, Pat the Street and turn a corner. Absolutely not. Yeah, no, it's. It's, it was, it's weird to hear that and all that, um, especially since she was the primary owner. Um, she couldn't get his licenses and stuff without her, so to, to fire her would, it would just be silly. Guys, take a listen to a little bit more. I follow the trail that Larry Altman sniffed out first. Take a listen. Deborah, the recent information that we got over this past weekend is that after our show Friday night, cops have now gone out and started re-interviewing people, interviewing friends. We also learn about the possessions being thrown in a dumpster, the Jeep being towed away almost immediately after she goes missing. About a week and a half later, Nancy, after she disappeared, a friend of hers saw her husband's daughter and his new girlfriend taking her stuff they, they were in a car, they drove to the restaurant, took stuff out of the car, and started throwing things into the dumpster. Allegedly, you know, there was a few things they decided to keep, but most of the things were just thrown away. Okay, so you're telling me that they basically went shopping in the missing woman's closet? They kept some of her belongings for themselves? I have no idea if it was for themselves, but they certainly did keep some things. I think I recognize that voice. That's me talking to Deborah Mark and Larry Altman. You're right. Killers amongst us. Nancy Grace signing off. Goodbye, friend.